Today's text is taken from, just before I open up in prayer, from Revelation chapter 3. I'm just going to read it and then we'll begin. Revelation chapter 3, verses 14 through 22. And it says, Unto the Lord, sorry, unto the angel of the church in Laodicea write, The words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation. I know your works, you are neither cold nor hot. What that you were either cold or hot. So, because you are lukewarm, and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. For you say, I am rich, I have prospered, I need nothing. Not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold, refined by fire, so that you may be rich, and white garments, so that you may clothe yourself and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen. And solve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. So be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. The one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne, as I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an heir, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Father, Lord, I just thank you that um, we have your word, and, and you know, your, your word is truth, and and sometimes, Father, it's hard for us to apply that truth to our lives. But um, so I pray that we'll receive it just as it is. Um, Father, this word is, is so much of a, uh, a public confession for my, my own self. And I just pray that my words, as I communicate the scripture with my words will fall to the ground and your words will go forth. Um, I just pray that it will penetrate our hearts and would just move us. It would move us to apply it to our lives. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. Before, before, I, before I get into uh, the, the text, there are just a couple you know, verses in here that's, um, you know, that usually gets misstrewed and and misunderstood, um, and so I just wanted to just give a little background information um, on, on the text itself, uh, particularly uh, when it's you know Jesus starts talking about us being neither hot nor cold. Uh, and traditionally, people will think that you know he's saying it's good to be hot and it's bad to be cold. And and, and according to this text right here, it's that's exactly not what he is saying. And and um, and what I've done was I just wanted us to take a just a look at uh, this this map, very basic map of the region of Laodicea, and I wish I had one of those uh, uh, pointy things, the laser, right? Um, not like Skywalker thing, but you know, just a pointy thing. But um, when we have Laodicea, and this will all make sense, hopefully, uh, we have Laodicea, and then there's Heropolis, that's about five miles. Um, north of Laodicea. Now that's a, that's impressive that I actually remember those geographical details. I mean, they're small details, 
But growing up in high school, I totally suck at geography. I mean, I would diligently study. Like Demi's like, you know, I would diligently study and I would still fail. It was it was so depressing. Um, so my brain doesn't register geography. You know, it's like it doesn't doesn't connect. And we just thought I would share that. Um, so there's Horopolis, that's five miles um, north of Laodicea. And then you have Colossae, that's about mm, ten miles east of Laodicea. And, and I'm just saying this because there's a lot of imagery inside this, this, this passage of scripture. And, um, and, and Horopolis, Horopolis was known for its hot springs. Um, and, and actually, even to this day, there's still evidence of the aqueducts that Laodicea would actually use to funnel the water down to, to their city. And what would happen... You know, as they funneled the water down, by the time it got to them, it would become lukewarm. Hopefully you see what I'm getting with this. And then Colossae was known for its fresh, cool water springs. Um, and so Heropolis had natural water sources. Colossae also had natural water sources. Laodicea did not. And I'm saying that just, you know, as, as I was just studying for this test, um, test, this text, I hope I pass. All the memories of geography is coming back. I hope I passed. Um, as I was studying this text, uh, you know, there's, there's evidence of a lot of imagery that Jesus could have used to identify or help the Laodiceans identify with the message in which he was communicating. And as we all know, when we hear Jesus' teachings, um, he tends to use um, illustrations and, and, and imagery. Uh, we think of the time when he was communicating about the new confidence that he was bringing in. And he said, well, how can you put new wine into old wine skins? Of course, you know, old wine skins can't hold the new wine because as it ferments, it would burst. And, and, and just with those folks, ah, I get it. So you got to put new wine into new wine skins. And so I'm just saying that as, you know, Jesus uses uh, imagery and, and different illustrations to connect uh, as he communicates his message. And I hope that we don't necessarily get tired of in the interpretation of the text, but that we would take home the heart of the message of the text. And so, verse 14, it says, Unto the angel of the church in Laodicea write. And, you know, this is one of the seven letters that have been addressed uh, to these different seven churches in Asia. And each one of them had a different message, right? There were some that, hey, you know, you're doing this well. You know, you're faithful, you're enduring, you're patient, uh, but you know, you've forgotten your last, your first love. Um, or, you know, you're, you're, you're very loving and you're enduring, uh, but you are tolerating, um, just false teaching. You're tolerating this person that's leading your people away. Um, and then there was some that, you know what? You have this picture of being alive. You give off this reputation of being alive, but you're actually dead. And then there were some of, you know what, you are continuing in the faith. Although you're being persecuted, although there's a lot of tribulation, and you know what, more tribulation is going to come, but you are still enduring. Um, and then, of course, you know, we have here Church of Laodicea where he addresses the areas that they need to work in. Um, so we see here where it says the... The words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation. Uh, we see a lot in these previous letters, um, either attributes or descriptions of Jesus Christ. And, and I just want to just highlight the three of them very briefly. Um, he says the Amen. 
In the original language, you know, it means um, so it is or so let it be, uh, which comes from the, the verb, which means to be firm or to be sure. And in some illustrations, husband expressed as truly or I tell you the truth. And, and scripturally, it's connected to, um, I think it should be on the screen, Isaiah 65. You can just read it off the screen or you can turn it if you like, but it's, it's on the screen. Isaiah 65, 16, where it says, So he who blesses himself in the land shall bless himself by the God of truth, and he who takes an oath in the land shall swear by the God of truth, because the former troubles are forgotten and are hidden from my eyes. And so here it's emphasizing the truthfulness and the divine origin of the message when it refers to the Amen. And then we hear the faithful and true witness. And this also is linked to the Amen. And uh, it emphasizes Jesus' authenticity of his character and his testimony. As previously mentioned, if you go back to Revelation chapter 1, verse 5, where it says, To him who loves, <coughs> sorry, it says, And from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of kings of earth. And then we have the last description, attribute description of, of Jesus Christ, and it says, the beginning of God's creation. And I'm sure the, ch- the church of Laodicea had some form of familiarity with this description, as their sister church was sent a letter from Paul talking about the supremacy of Jesus Christ in Colossians. Um, and if you wish to turn there, it's, oh, it's right up there as well. Colossians 1, verses 15 through 16 which reads, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in him, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. So, the church of Laodicea, very similar to us, right? Uh, were deceived by their self-centeredness that they developed through their wealth and their uh, material prosperity. Thus, from that, they became complacent, uh, believing that they are in control. And Jesus starts off this letter. Today will probably be like a memo. And, and for the students, it will probably be like your report card. You come to school and it, bam, is right there on your desk. And, and it says geography. You failed. No, but... um. I'm working the geography uh, uh, material. Um, but Jesus established himself that he is the one who is in control, right? He is, he is the sovereign ruler over all creation. Um, everything that they possess and have is not because of them. You know, he is the source. He is the one who is in control. And in verse 15 of Revelation chapter 3 says, I know your works. Now, works here has three different meanings, or I should say have three different uses, but are distinct. It usually talks about, you know, the works of God, the works of Jesus, or the works of man uh, in reference to faith. Um, Now, these references are not on the screen, so if you want to write them down, please do so. Um, But I'll read it. When it refers to the works of God, Deuteronomy 3.24 says, O Lord God, you have begun to show your servant your greatness and your strong hand. For what God is there in heaven or in earth who can do such works? 
and mighty acts of yours. And in reference to Jesus' works, in Matthew 11, in Matthew 11, verses 2 to 5, it says, Now when John heard in prison about the deeds of Christ, he sent word by his disciples and said to him, Are you the one who is to come, or shall I look for another? And Jesus answered them, Go and tell John that what you hear and see, the blind receive their sight, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear, and the dead are raised up, and the poor have good news preached to them. And now when it comes to us, when he says, I know your works, the works of man in relation to their faith, in Matthew 5.16, this is something that we're very familiar with. It says, let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. And so I spent some time in the introduction to cover this so that as we approach now the, the part where he says you're neither cool or hot, just so that we can get some sort of unified uh, understanding of what he's referring to, um, and not that it's good to be hot and it's bad to be cold, but letting them, but explaining to them that you haven't chosen. You haven't chosen to be hot and you haven't chosen to be cold. Um, and, and that's, and that's why we look back at the t- topography of the region of Heropolis, Heropolis having the cold water springs and, and Colossae having, being known for their cool, refreshing water. Um, before I get there, who likes coffee? Who's like a coffee um, connoisseur person? Okay, so so Gregory, come up. All right. I mean, not Gregory, Craig. Boy, you know, yesterday was my birthday, so so one more year older, and I'm you know starting to lose my my memory. Um, so if you can just think of, you know, when you have like a hot cup of coffee, right? When you have a hot cup of coffee, how does that, how does that feel when you drink a hot cup of coffee? Refreshing, right? Okay. Warm, soothing. All right. Well, when you have like a frappuccino, how is, do you, do you like frappuccinos? Right? Okay. So, okay. See, he's, <laughs> frappuccino. All right. So what I'm going to do is I'm just going to pour you a cup of coffee. Um, do you like white mocha? Okay. Nice. So. There's a cup of white mocha. See, I mean, it's coffee. I'm not going to let you drink something that's not. I'm telling you, see? Taste what? Taste weird? Is that something that you will drink? Now, how does it taste? Tastes nasty, right? All right, you know, I, I bought that from this morning. From like nine. And I just had it sitting in my office. I mean, it was covered and stuff, so nothing crawled into it. The white, that's, that's probably some of the mocha stuff. But thanks, so thanks for, for coming up. But, it's, but it tasted nasty, right? It's kind of, you know, it's not hot, it's not cold, it's, it's weird, okay? Um, that's the uh, translation according to Craig, it's weird. I know your works. So yeah, you can go, he's like, can I, I want to throw up right now. Um, so, you know, it's, 
It's not a hot cup of coffee. Yeah. And, and, and you may have seen it in the, the bulletin. You know, if God samples your life, will he be pleased? You know, would it be like oh, soothing? He sees your works, your lifestyle, your testimony. You know, would it be to him as a hot cup of coffee or a cold frappuccino? Or would it be this weird tasting nasty cup of coffee that's lukewarm? And that, as we're going to see as we get further in the text, he won't tolerate at all. So further on in verse 15, it says, I know your works. You are neither cold nor hot. Would that you were either cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot or cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. And why is it there's a whole lot of imagery in this text? If, if you would, if you ever were interested in just looking at it for yourself, um, the later saints, you know, they will be able to look off in the distance and at the cliffs and see the water cascading off it. And you know, I'm sure the sun is hitting it just right, so it's glistening, and it looks so good from the outside. But they know that, you know, by the time this water comes to us, they know they look good on the outside, but really. It was useless to them. You know, by the time it came to them, one, it was lukewarm. The second thing was filled with calcium, carbonate, minerals that made it undrinkable. And even if someone was to ingest it, it would actually induce vomiting. And, and the word, the original word here when it says spit out, means to vomit. So Jesus is saying, Jesus is writing this letter, and he's saying to us, if you'll be so honest and transparent to put your name there, he's saying to us, you know, you being lukewarm, or whatever lukewarm tendencies that you're having, and if you feel comfortable in that, you feel, you know, I'm, I'm all right. You know, mediocre is the new thing that's in, you know. That's the new cool thing. He's saying that to, to him, that's detestable. It's like it's making me want to throw up. It's making me want to gag. Um, and that's, you know, that's an, an incredible indictment for, for us as believers. And then spit out my mouth. Like, what are the implications with that? Is that, oh, you know, will I lose my salvation? Is he saying that? Like, what is exactly is he referring to when he says spit out my mouth? Um, the thought comes where it's like, you know, I'm going to, I can't tolerate and bear you any longer in this current state of lukewarmness. You know, are you going to choose to be hot? Are you going to choose to be cold? Are you going to be comfortable with being lukewarm? Then I'm going to put you aside. And he says, you don't think you're lukewarm because you're fooling yourself. You're self-deceived. And the reason why you're self-deceived, if you look in verse 17, it says, For you say, I am rich, I have prospered, and I need nothing. Material possessions so easily enslave us, right? Right? It has... That was a lot of power over us. And I'll be transparent. You know, I'm, I like to put myself as far as like an Epicurean, you know. That just means someone who just loves fine things, you know. I enjoy a nice, well-cooked piece of sirloin steak. You know what I'm saying? I say I heard amen. I was going to say, can I have amen? Yeah. 
Well, you're going to get Pentecostal here. But, uh, you know, I, I do. You know what I mean? I enjoy fine things. You know, I love to step into my car, turn the key, and it starts. And not have to do like, oh, please start. Please, please start right now. Please start right now. One more time. Oh, thank you, baby. You know what I mean? I, you know, I enjoy fine things. But the thing is, you know, Jesus is not saying that where you live, you know, you have a nice house, you have a nice car, you have your iPhone, you have your iPad, you have your iPad touch, you have your iPod talk. It's coming out. Take it from me. iPod talk is coming out because doing this will become too strenuous and you're like, ah, I can't do it anymore. You rest it down and you're like, ah, oh, I can't. I just wish I could just talk to it. And they're like, don't worry, you got that covered. So iTalk is coming out. I'm telling you, they just, they have, they have the iTalk one, two, three, and four waiting. Um, I'm telling you, it's coming out. But, you know, the material things are not evil, right? Having nice, nice things are not evil, right? Having your iPhone is not evil. Having your PS3 is not evil, you know. It's not, but if it replaces, like the last song says, it replaces your pursuit after Christ and what he's calling you to do, then now your focus is on the material things. And it blinds us because we say, you know what, I'm rich. I wake up in the morning and I eat breakfast, it's there. You know, um, I have clothes on my back. I, sometimes I can't even decide what to wear because there's there's too much clothing in my closet. Um, I'm rich. I have parts of it. I need nothing. Uh, I can get whatever I want. And I'm set. And Laodicea was known for its trade, its banking commerce, its wool. Uh, you know, that was the first place where they probably had, you know... Uh, Versace and Dior and fur coats, you know, it was known for these things. They were known for their wealth and their material possession, uh, but not for their spiritual maturation. So essentially, the church leader says, you know what? What else do we need? I have everything I want. And Jesus is precisely saying that. Jesus is saying that you have everything you want, but you don't have everything you need and it's blinding you to what your current state is. And we see the contrast in the second part of verse 17. But he says, you're not realizing, not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. He's saying, generally, you're a pitiful wretch, Michelot. You are. And specifically, you're, you're poor, blind, and naked. And that's hard to hear, Right? That's not, that's not like the happy, the happy Jesus meek and mild, right? You know, that's like Jesus in your face telling you, here's your report card. You're not what I want. You're not presenting yourself as a holy living sacrifice before me. You're not cool. You're not hot. You're lukewarm. And I can't take that nasty weird stuff. I'm going to put you aside. So Jesus says to them, he gives them an advice because he said, what you're portraying is absolutely opposite of who you are. Yes, you're in your Sunday best, tan-piece suit, but I know, tan-piece suit, you won't be able to move. Um, but you're not, who you're portraying is not who you are. I know your works. I know your deeds. 
And he says in verse 18, and as much as this is like a harsh letter of rebuke, it's also an incredible letter of love. And that's what this whole book is, a love letter to us. And there's some tough things in it. There's some things that's in our face and saying, you know, this is how you're living and you need to change. Because I don't want you to continue on this path that leads to destruction. And we're going to get to that in a little bit. It's, it's an incredible love letter as well, which we'll see at the end. And he gives them advice. He says, I counsel you to buy for me gold refined by fire so that you may be rich. Now, Jesus isn't saying you are able to buy righteousness from me and you're able to buy uh, mercy and grace. It's very a metaphorical statement that, that he makes when he says, come to me and buy uh, for me. And again, there's a lot of imagery there because the people were new to go and trade. You know, they were buying from their markets. They were buying from companies that were trading wool with them. Um, you know, so they... They were buying things, but they weren't seeking after the things of Christ. And Jesus is saying, you know what? All those things that you have purchased, all those things that you are pursuing are nothing. Come to me. Um, and we see in Philippians, um, in Philippians chapter 4, verse 19, he says, And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory, in Christ Jesus. And Jesus said, I will give you all that you need. Maybe not all that you want, but everything that you need, you can find in me. And, and such a beautiful picture in Isaiah 55, verse 1, it says, Come everybody who thirsts, come to the waters, and he who has no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk. And he's not saying... This is a physical purchasing. Again, it's a metaphor here. Because he says, without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and your labor for which does not satisfy? So he's telling the church back then and he's telling us today, come buy from me refined gold so that you may be rich. And he is saying, you know, my wealth is refined. My wealth is never ending. So he addresses our state, you know, you're, you're spiritually poor. You may have a lot of money or you may, you know, you guys may be able to, you know, if my iPhone break today, mom and dad is going to get me a next one tomorrow. No response or maybe, yeah, right? Um, or, or if mom and dad's like, no, you break your phone, you're going to get it yourself. And you're like, oh, okay, that's fine. You know, I can just go and work and save money and buy it. There's no big deal, you know, I have no need for nothing. Um, I have access to get it. But he is saying, you know, we are, we can be materially poor, but materially rich, but he's addressing our spiritual poverty. And he says, come to me so that you may be rich. And then he says, after that, come buy from me white garments so that you may clothe yourself and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen. So he's saying, and, and, and here, white garments, a lot in Revelation, you'll see it symbolic, symbolically represents um, righteousness. So he's saying, you're self-sufficient, self-righteousness amounts to nothing. And we've heard a reference to when we're taught about our self-righteousness. It works nothing. It is as filthy rags. And he's telling them, come to me. 
as you are spiritually naked, come to me so that you may be clothed, so that you won't have to face the shame and the disgrace of your nakedness. So he addresses, you know, you're spiritually poor, you're spiritually naked. And then lastly, he says, you're in this verse, you're spiritually blind. He says, and salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. Now, they were known for their medical center. They were known for, mar- for manufacturing salve. So again, he's saying, you know, all your earthly endeavors, your earthly accomplishments outside of me is not going to help you. You need my spiritual salve so that it can bring light to your eyes, so that you can see who you are compared to who I am. And this is why I say it's an incredible love letter, because it's, you know, it's in your face. It's, you know, it's like, you know, this is how you're living, and it's just not measuring up. And, and sadly, it almost seems like you're comfortable with it. You know, it'll be one thing if you're deceived and you're like, oh, wow, I can see. But really, it seems like you're, you're mediocre and you're, you're just loving the coasting thing and you're not cool, you're not hot, you're just this weird tasting, living sacrifice that's like, ah, and that's what he's saying. He's like, oh, man, I just, I can't, I can't tolerate that, you know? Um, and that's hard to hear. You know, because he's like, Jesus, God, come on, man. You know, I'm, I'm rich. I'm, I'm sad. I'm good. You know, he's like, no, you're not. It's like, Mishlo, no, you're not. Take a good look at yourself. You're not. But he doesn't just leave it there. He doesn't just leave us in a state of, oh, gosh. Okay, I'm a pitiful wretch. I am poor. I am blind. And I am naked. Wow. But here's the incredible part of love that's extended to us. He says in verse 19, those whom I love. Isn't that just refreshing words? Those whom I love. Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. In Proverbs 3, verse 11 and 12, it may be on the screen as well. It says, my son, do not despise the Lord's discipline. All be wary of his reproof. For the Lord reproves him who he loves as a father, the son in whom he delights. So Jesus is saying, you know, I'm rebuking you right now. I'm correcting you right now because I love you. It's not because I hate you. It's not because I want to stomp you down. It's because I want to prevent you from walking the walk that you are doing currently right now that just leads to destruction and to me rejecting you to open your eyes to where you are now so that you can choose now to pursue being hot for me or being cold for me, having a useful testimony. And here's the glorious hope right here in verse 20. He says, Behold, in original language, that's emeo. Um, oh, actually, no. Edu. You know, he's saying, Edu! Behold, look. Right? And look to what's going to come. You know, it's like, behold. And again, just an incredible, just this incredible visual of God's invite and his call. And he says, behold, 
I stand at the door and knock. And many people think this is his call to unbelieving sinners. But it's not. It's his call to believing Christians who need to repent. And he says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. Right? If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, very important if anyone hears my voice. So when you hear that the, the convicting voice of the Spirit saying, ah, oh, you know what, this is how you've been living and it's not matching up to what Jesus wants you to do. So he's just saying, not only hear that voice, but open the door. I'm knocking. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and eat with him and he with me. Positionally, we're sealing Christ. But when we're, but when we are sin and, and there's, and there's sin, there's unrepented sin in our lives, we break that communion and fellowship with him. And he's saying, you know, I want to fellowship with you. I want to commune with you. Yeah, you're, you're lukewarm right now, but I want you to know that, hey, I love you and this is why I'm saying this to you. I want you to repent from this eagerly. Because he says, be zealous and repent. I want you to eagerly run towards what I'm calling you to do. And, and, I'm, and he's saying that I'm knocking on the heart of your door. And when you hear this and you open this door, I will come in to you. And I will fellowship with you. And we will commune together. Me with you and you with me. And then he says, the one who conquers... And he says with all the other previous letters, this is the glorious, eternal um, promise that he has for us as believers. It says, the one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne. Also, I, sorry, the one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne as I also conquered and sat down with, the, with my father on his throne. And it isn't impossible for us to conquer because we have the indwelling spirit with us. And all that's calling for us is to respond to the nudge of the spirit saying, this is how you're living. This is not what God wants. When God samples your life, will he be pleased? Or when he samples it, oh, that is bad. Um, I shouldn't have done that. Um, I'm not even putting that on. That's really bad. But, you know, will he be like, ah, man, that's just nasty. That just makes me want to vomit. Or will he stomp your life and be like, oh, man, you know what? There's this refreshing, there's this cool refreshing, this heat soothing. There's, there's a choice. There's your, your heart or your, or your cold, and, and that's beautiful. You've made a choice. So I'm saying today, choose this day. Um, choose this day to serve our living God. Amen.